0: Good morning. So uh, last week we talked about Tamar and I hope you all went home and read Genesis 38 and were astounded at the story of God's faithfulness through the work of a young woman. Today we continue the theme, um, God's faithfulness through the work of a young woman. But, but first I want to um, juxtapose. I just like using that word. A couple of people couple of groups of people. If I were to stand up here before you, two different men, one of them wearing a nice suit, um, uh, clean cut, clean shaven. The other one wearing a hoodie, very disheveled looking, probably hasn't shaved in too long. You would look at these two gentlemen and you would think, okay, if I asked you, which one do you think is doing a little bit better in the world? Most of us would probably naturally go to the guy in the suit and say, that guy. But what if the man in the suit was a faceless individual of all of the men and women who have been laid off recently and they're forced to wear a suit day after day looking for a job and their house is in financial ruin. And the guy on the other side in the hoodie is Mark Zuckerberg. I think he's doing okay, right? Founder of Facebook, for those of you who don't know, uh, or, or maybe we'll take it a little bit older. And I have two women standing up here, and 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 I tell you about their stories. One of them is very powerful and very wealthy, and 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 says that she doesn't only want to give what the people need, but what they want. And then the other one is um, lives in squalor and in slums and um, has nothing to give anyone. I'd ask you, which one do you think is doing more for the world? And maybe you would say the one who is giving people what they want, not what they need. At least she's saying so. And then I would introduce you to Marie Antoinette and Mother Teresa. Two people I'm sure you were thinking about, right? They always go together. Or maybe let's bring it a little bit more close to home. We have two athletes up here. One of them is globally known. He has campaigns that make him more money than he makes from his salary. The other one is also known throughout the world, but way less important and big of a deal, and his only ad campaigns are for small companies in his local hometown. Yet one of them has five championship rings, and the other one is LeBron. Or, or maybe I'll just turn it on myself. How many of you thought I actually owned more than one suit? <laughs> or maybe since he's still in Israel, I'll make fun of him. How many of you, upon seeing Daryl Smith in his tight t-shirts, because let's be honest, he should wear a double X the size that he is, but he gets the size large. I'll let you in on his secret so that he can show his muscles off. And his hair that's really like flowing and red and all these curls, and then his beard and he, and he plays guitar without shoes. How many of you would know, as you look at him, that he has a doctorate of worship ministry? He does. He's Dr. Daryl now. He likes to be called Dr. Daryl, by the way. If next time you see him, please call him Dr. Daryl. He finds that just liberating. The fact of the matter is, so often we look at people and we make an instant assumption about who they are, about where they stand, on all sorts of issues, just from a brief glimpse of them. We just look at them and we already know about their life and we put them in a category. Those who can be useful to me and those who cannot. Those who are worthy and those who are not. Now, that may be kind of a cynical look on our society, but I think for most of us from time to time, we have a tendency to do that. Last night, I did a wedding in here and the groom had not seen the bride. And this is kind of a tradition that I don't know how it goes with Donna's weddings. But for my weddings, it's kind of a tradition that isn't really held much anymore because most people want to do their pictures beforehand. And so they get everything done so that they can go party. It's not really about the wedding. It's about the reception. Sorry, I'm a little bitter about that. But um, so th- this isn't a really true... But he hadn't seen her yet, and he was just giddy and excited. And I mean, he was just like up here, kind of bouncing around down, down there, and, and, and he was so excited to see her. And the first time that you get to see... I don't, I don't, I'm sure many of you have been to weddings here. Um, to see the bride is when um, the bridesmaids have come through, and then they usher in the bride uh, to the back there, right behind the glass doors. So you can see this white blob, essentially... Right. Because it's, there's glass and it's kind of creating and it's so far back there. And, and all you see is this kind of this outline and this white dress. And you know that it's the bride because who else is going to wear white on that day? Um, some of you probably. But it's back there. And you can't really tell. You think she looks beautiful, but you don't know. And you make this judgment. That's what, you, And then the doors open and it's like, whoa. I know that this guy had, um, I'm sure that he had that thought last night, that he saw her and he was like, oh man, this is, wow. Because I always watch the groom's face as the doors are open. Because I'm close, closer than anyone and it's really fun to see the different reactions of different guys when their bride comes forward. And it was just this look when the doors open. It struck me last night. I don't know why I've never thought of this before. Maybe because it needed for today. Um, but it just was really this amazing thing when the doors were open, how clearly he saw who she was. I think part of the problem with us is when we see someone, we don't want to wait for the doors to be open before we determine who they are. We, we see someone through a door, through a glass, through this lens, and it's the lens of our own preconceptions. It's the lens of our own prejudices. It's the lens of our own experiences and what we believe we know And we want to say, that's who that person is down there. Instead of waiting for that door to be opened by God and for God to say, this is who this person is. Rahab, by all stretch of the imagination, was not necessarily someone you would call holy. She was, um, in my terms, the Dolly Parton of the chicken ranch, right? Right? Okay, in scripture, that she was the um, she she was a prostitute. A lot of people think she was the madam of her house, and and she wasn't secretive about it. That's who she was. The Israelites. Joshua has just taken over the tribe of Israel. Moses has has died, and God says, Joshua, this is your time. And He says, uh, in a very short period of time, three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Because I'm going to give you everything that I've promised. We are going to walk through this land that I'm giving you and destroy everyone. And Joshua, knowing this, comes to the first city, the city of Jericho. Jericho is an interesting city because it sits in the middle of Egypt and the Hittites. It sits in between these two very powerful military places. And they were scared. They never knew what was going to happen on their left or on their right, and so they built these tremendously large walls. The walls of Jericho are famous, right? Huge. Strong people don't need big walls. Weak people do. So they weren't that strong of a nation, and so they tried to to protect themselves by building these walls. And they would hear all of the talk of the different stuff that's going on around them. They sat in such a position that if something happened in Egypt, they would know. If something happened over with the Hittites, they would know. And so when Moses led the people of Israel from Egypt, that story spread quickly. I mean, when a body of water goes dry in one place for an entire nation to walk through, they didn't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but I'm sure that story got around. So when the spies come into town, they go to this house of prostitution. And you can say, Good choice. Where is there going to be a place where more people in power are sharing their secrets in an unauthorized way than there? So they go into this place and they find Rahab, and Rahab, as Donna told us earlier, hid them. And an interesting thing, because the story in in chapter 2 here of Joshua takes place pretty quickly. But it must have taken place over a longer extended period of time, especially in that first day. They come into town and then immediately almost the king, it seems, understand, hears of them being in town. And so he sends people to investigate. But in the meantime, Rahab has time to hide them up on the roof of her house. So the question that we might ask ourselves is, was it Rahab who told the king of their presence? Was it Rahab who sent a messenger to the king saying, hey, over in Rahab's house are two people of the Jewish tribe. You better send some guards quick. But why would she do that? Because she's heard the stories of God. Because if you know the story, these men from the king, and they're looking for these spies. And Rahab says... In my house? No, of course not. Oh, no, they were here, but before the gates closed, they left. And they went that way. And the king's men don't even question her. They're like, okay. And they leave. And the gates close behind them. And she goes up onto the roof where the spies are, and she sits down, and she goes, okay, here's what's just happened. I've saved your life. Now listen. And she unfolds what a scholar from Seattle Pacific University says um, Spina is one of the most truthful, one of the purest confessions of faith that an Israelite could have delivered. She uses the name of God that only a Jew would use. She, when, she, when she talks about the parting of the Red Sea, she doesn't call it the Red Sea, which no Jew would have. She called it the Sea of Reeds. She says that your God, Yahweh, the Lord God, is God of heaven and of earth below. Only two other times in the New Testament is God described this way, and it's by Moses and Solomon. She knows her stuff. She delivers this confession of faith to which Spina suggests if you take out the the knowledge of who Rahab is and you just hear this confession of faith, you would think that it was delivered by one of the leaders of the people of Israel. You would think that, I mean, somebody, if they had catechism, she could teach their catechism. She knew it. And she says, I believe so much in your God. I know that this is going to happen. So you must save me as I have saved you, not just me, my entire family. So these spies are kind of caught. And they break the law because in Deuteronomy it says you never will make an oath with someone who is a Canaanite. And they say, Okay. Will spare you. In Joshua chapter six, verse twenty-two, it says this. Then Joshua said to the two spies, "Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family." The young men went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the city and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept. For the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house, because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now fast forward to chapter seven, and we hear a story, the ending of a story, of a man by the name of Achan. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, tin, and everything he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. This is why the place has been called the valley of trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the story of these two people of Rahab and Achan, Rahab we know. She's a prostitute. She's a madam of a house. Achan, if you read a little bit before that, we find out is not only from the tribe of Judah, he is from an important family in the tribe of Judah. He is an important part of that family. Two times it mentions his lineage. And if it mentions it twice, it means this is a big deal. This guy was a big guy in the tribe of Judah. This guy was a big guy in the people of Israel. He was um, a powerful, privileged person. And yet, the ending of his story is completely different. If I stood Rahab and Achan up here, and you knew a little bit about their past and their history, And I said, which one of these two do you think is more favored by God? Which one of these two do you think is going to end up in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Chances are, if you don't know the rest of the story, you're going to vote for Achan. But see, here's what happened. Before they attacked Jericho, God was very specific about something. He said, look, we're going to go in. We're going to knock the walls down. We're going to take care of things, but then I want you to reserve the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, bring it to my treasury. Everything bring to my treasury. But Achan, Achan knowing this, was a little tempted. He saw some gold and he saw some silver and he saw some beautiful robe and he said, no one's going to miss this pound of gold, these pieces of silver, this robe. And so he takes them and he buries them underneath his tent. Nobody knows except God. But God doesn't like it. And so the next time the people of Israel try to take on the next city, they go and they attack this city called Ai. And it was a much smaller city. And they're like, this is going to be a cakewalk, Joshua. Just send a few of us down. And a few of them go and they just get beaten. And they run home with their tail between their legs. And fear just passes through the entire people of Israel. Has God left us? They come to find out that it is because of Achan and his actions and his lack of faith. If those two people stood back there behind the door. We would see them in the way that we want to see them. And we might judge them before we allow those doors to be opened and realize who God truly has made there. Too often in my life have I done this. Too often in my life have I seen someone through my lens. And I label them. And I put them in a category, as useful or not useful to me, as worthy or not worthy. I put them in a category, whatever I think it is, and however I think they are going to be for me Immediately when I see them or I hear them make a statement or I or I see, sense anything about them, I'm like, that's who that person is done. And I don't wait for those doors to open. Too often has the church at large done this to people. And not just people, but groups of people. Too often have we looked at a group of people and said, as the global church, those people are not worthy And we look through the lens that we have created for ourselves and we don't wait for the doors to be opened by God and for us to truly see the sons and the daughters that he has crafted. Too often have we condemned before we have loved. Too often have we had so little faith. Too often have we had so little faith that we weren't willing to wait for God to reveal something before we acted. We needed to trust ourselves and not him. Maybe it's time we remember that it's Rahab who's in the genealogy. Maybe it's time that we need to remember that when we see someone, we see them through our lens and we need to wait. And allow those doors to swing open and let the bride walk down the aisle.